Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Tenet, and I am happy to be joined by Christopher Nolan correspondent Nick Menta to talk about this one. Nick, are you going out to buy some really nice boatware tomorrow? Josh, here's what we're going to do. This is going to be called a temporal pincer podcast. You're going to do the first half of the podcast moving forward. I'm going to do the (laughs) second back half of the podcast moving backward, and we are going to meet in the middle at the end. I should also preface by saying that I did forge that $9 million drawing I gave you, but come to think that that's actually irrelevant to everything. Is it, is it, I actually have a more important pressing question for you. Is this actually the uh, beginning of our friendship for me and the end of it for you? <laughs> so, like, had I understood the film, that could have been a beautiful moment between two fine actors. Yeah, so uh, normally when I start out these podcasts, I give a quick synopsis of the plot. It's just a very basic thing I like doing, but I'm going to issue that for now because I don't want to start the pod on a low note. And uh, I I will say that Tenet is the newest uh, movie from writer-director Christopher Nolan. Nick and I talked about him a couple – actually, exactly two months ago. It was funny. When I logged on to Skype, we talked last exactly two months ago on July 21st. We're recording this on September 21st. Tenet stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Michael Caine, because of course, and uh, I'm not complaining about that, but I mean, it's it's a Christopher Nolan movie, and it, it was a big deal because it was the movie that was going to kind of rescue theaters, but theaters are still in a little bit of limbo right now. Nick and I saw wanted to see this movie because we really were enjoyed revisiting uh, the works of Christopher Nolan a couple of months ago when we talked about following and Memento, and thought that it was kind of cool to lead into a movie that we knew was going to be about time. And we thought, all right, let's talk about him in a larger context, and then we'll do a podcast on Tenet when theaters reopen and the world is normal again. Uh, that's obviously not the case now. But at the same time, like we said, we still found a way to see it, and we're going to try and talk about it. But I will say, Nick, based on what I had heard, I, I tried to avoid seeing a lot about the movie beforehand, but I just saw stuff on Twitter here and there. I saw little bits and pieces of what critics were saying. I kind of knew it was a time movie. I already know that sometimes Christopher Nolan likes to jump around and make things hard to understand. And I was trying to brace myself for that. So I thought, okay, hopefully I'll find a way to enjoy this, even if it's going to be this kind of mind-bending movie that, as we talked about last time, maybe isn't always my thing. And unsurprisingly, I really didn't understand the movie at all. Uh, I'd brace myself for that, but I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of thought you were maybe going to really like this movie because you. Uh, I did too. How and, foolish and, I was. And, we were all so young and handsome at the time. And I think you're maybe a little more traditionally on Christopher Nolan's wavelength. You would also kind of, you kind of just maybe thought, okay, I'm going to enjoy this thing, even if it's going to be like Christopher Nolan going full Christopher Nolan. Maybe it's not going to be the easiest to understand plot, but like, you know, uh, he's your guy. And a lot of this other stuff might just really work for you when you think about all the stuff that he's just going to throw on the screen. So I guess my question to start for you is, uh, as someone that had expectations for hopefully enjoying this movie, even if knowing it might be a convoluted plot type of movie, uh, what do you think the version of this movie looks like that you would enjoy, even if it, <laughs> even it, even one that was really hard to follow that didn't make a lot of sense? What does this version of it look like that is something that like actually really really works for you? Uh, I would have gladly taken Josh like two and a half hours of like a buddy spy film between Pattinson and Washington. Mm-hmm. I think that's a viable film, and even though I couldn't understand what they were talking about at mm. all in the film they did still have some like chemistry between them that mm-hmm. was that was palpable that shone through all the things you couldn't understand and 
you know, you joked about off the top about, you know, the, the beginning and the end of the friendship. There was supposed to be an emotional resonance at the end of that film between the two of them and the audience and the characters. And I genuinely credit both Washington and Pattinson for doing their absolute best to sell that as they did strictly as a piece of acting because their tone and their expression were the only things really con like comprehensible mm -hmm. about that conversation. So those are two guys who did the absolute best with what they were given. The problem is they were still hamstrung by what they were given. And in that case, it's absolutely unknown. Yeah, I think if you just say before, before you ever see this movie in the first place, hey, want to go see Christopher Nolan make a buddy cop movie? I yeah. feel like that's a pretty cool pitch. I, I don't think I came into it expecting that, though, just because it's Christopher Nolan. It's going to be high concept. There's going to be a lot of more stuff thrown at you. So I don't think that was ever really my expectation. But I, if, if you want to constrain him to that, then like, I'm totally here for that. But I, I don't think I ever really had that expectation myself personally. But I totally agree with you that I think that is the version of this movie that could potentially really work. I just I just never thought we were going to get something that wasn't going to involve a, a crazy plot thrown at us. And maybe... No, no may and that's fine. But, like, Inception still worked, right? right? Like, Inception was obviously convoluted. And, and some people like it and some people don't. But, like, there's a breeziness to that film, especially when I think of, like, Tom Hardy's character, when I think of mm -hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And even DiCaprio, who's, who's, you know, weighed down by regret and loss the whole film. There's a breeziness and a lightness and, like, some genuine comedy that still comes through in Inception. It's, it's, not a, it's not like a painful watch. It's not a frustrating watch. At least it never was for me. And, and Tenet just doesn't have that, really. So, you know, I joke about a, a two-and-a-half-hour buddy spy film. I did anticipate Tenet being something like Inception 2. And instead what it became was all of the things that people hate about Christopher Nolan dialed up to 10 and all of the things that people like about Christopher Nolan really turned down to zero. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a movie in which I didn't really fully understand the plot, but like, because that, that, that's just like a pet peeve of mine in general, is movies that kind of throw a lot at you and just you spend all the time, like, I'm not the kind of person to necessarily go on Reddit deep dives. I couldn't tell you the last sure. time I did that for a movie. It's just not really my thing. And I, I, I maybe thought I was going to take advantage of the week between when I saw it and when you saw it to like do that. And I just like, I just wasn't motivated to do it. I, 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 I read, I read a handful of reviews just to get some different takes on it. I reread the Wikipedia and that was really about it. And I, and listened to a couple podcasts that talked about it and, and those podcasts I listened to one kind of had, did their best to walk through the entire plot. The other really didn't even try. And, and I think, I, I can't remember if they all, I think they, they some of them did kind of like it cause they were to just kind of forget about the other stuff. And I, I, I guess I kind of agree with you in that like, uh, it's him dialing everything up to nine because I guess my version of this that I really like maybe doesn't get as bogged down in a lot of the minutia and a lot of the explaining. And I f it feels like he's almost trying to preempt that early on when a character literally says, don't try to understand it, just feel it or something. Sure, but then the undermines himself the entire rest of the film explaining the grandfather paradox to you on seven different occasions. Right. So I, I, I feel like there's a version where you can take the long view of the room and just say, okay, uh, there are guys that need to go destroy a thing because people in the f in the future are trying to destroy the past, and you don't have to think about it beyond that. And then if you can just only take that for what it's worth, instead of having people talk science to you for uh, two and a half hours, and maybe you can just kind of immerse yourself in the friendship of these characters, but it it doesn't seem to want to really go that far. Because we'll talk about the sound mixing too, but I mean the fact that. Uh, you could appreciate John David Washington, Robert Pattinson's relationship while hearing maybe like at Passionate. best, 
at, at best 70% of what they're saying to each other, if that. And while not giving a whole lot of characterization to them, I mean, my big thing with Dunkirk, which I mean, hell, that's that's a that's a best picture winner compared to this for me, was that like I just in general more of a fan of character driven movies. And like that was just a bunch of pasty white guys that were indistinguishable from each other. And I couldn't really get invested in most of them. That's just like but I, I, I can appreciate everything else that Dunkirk had going for it aesthetically. And Tenet has great aesthetics. But at the same time, like it's hard to just appreciate a movie on that level when you just are too bogged down in a bunch of plot but here it's like i couldn't even really get on the like i i was there right there with you with what you're saying about at the end like you could kind of tell they had some charm between each other and you were like oh i could have really this is something i can maybe hold on to but i don't think instead of like we said doing the grandfather paradox doing all these different explainers if they had spent a lot of that time just like still spending a little more time with the characters then i probably would have felt more felt even more at the end even if that final act had been as incomprehensible still been as incomprehensible as it was uh he gets a lot i, I was lost from the beginning Forget oh, okay. the final oh, no, act, oh, no. you know okay i no, i am too i don't want to act like i understood yeah. it all that well either but i mean i think the most inexcusable thing is to like have that final battle sequence what what, what was the uh what's it called again the pincher the pincer movement the, the temporal uh, pincer movement right and to have that be what 30 40 minutes and not understand who is trying to do what who anyone is i mean it's just crazy to have that be what your movie builds to but even if that even if it had been that like maybe i would have still been like okay i'm really connected to these dudes again i did like what those dudes were doing from what i could understand of it but i mean and i'm not saying i wanted him to like I, we don't need to rehash the whole Christopher Nolan dead wife thing. It's been written about enough <laughs> everywhere on the internet. But the fact is you probably feel more connected to Cobb and Inception because that's a big thing about him that you know. And I think one of the best examples of what you texted me right after the movie where it felt like Christopher Nolan was just – I think the term you used was just like like – trying to openly antagonize his audience or something like that was that like if there is someone in the audience that likes character driven movies and wants to get to know people to call the protagonist of your movie protagonist and not give him a real name and not even give him a dead wife not that that is my preferred method of character development but it's something uh it's harder to even glom onto that i guess that's my long way of saying it's harder to even really hold on to a character admits everything if you're not even going to try and develop the character like if you want to have a bunch of other incomprehensible stuff at least make that central relationship between these two guys like super strong and instead it's kind of like played off as a joke at the end that like hey that science you didn't understand that explains even more about the friendship i can't remember the last time i was like this disappointed by and actively mad at a theater experience <laughs> and, and like shout out to the silver moon drive and that was not the problem it was the <laughs> film um but I, I do feel that way. It was a two and a half hour interrogate, like antagonization, like the film. And I'll just flat out. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Like I'm willing to go that far. It's not that just, I didn't get it. Like, I think it's actively a bad movie. Um, and I don't know if you want to do the sound mixing now, which is half the problem, but like, here's how I would describe this. And here's the question I have. Mm-hmm. How do you make a $200 million film? Okay. That's like reliant on the constant, rapid fire exposition of theories of physics and time travel and not have it be audible. I can't believe that we're talking about a movie this expensive made by like a perfectionist auteur whose kids refer to him as the main character from Phantom Thread. Reynolds Woodcock. Yes. (laughs) Like this is what we're talking about. And like the issue is you can't understand 50% of the dialogue and the part that you can hear is poorly written. 
Yeah, that's that's something I read somewhere else. I don't want to pretend like I'm uh, making a unique point here. I, I, I mean, I do think that's inexplicable. Like you said, I honestly hadn't even thought about it that way. I did also have trouble hearing stuff. I heard different things on that. I, I, I first the, the first time I actually listened to someone talk about seeing the movie without talking about the plot was at the the Ringer's Big Picture podcast where they had Adam Neiman, who is kind of like their Canadian based. Uh, critic so he got to see it a little earlier than everyone else because you in canada he was the first one i heard beating that drum but then my friend fred who uh is a regular guest on this podcast he saw it in nashville fred actually really liked the movie sorry fred if you're listening uh that we're just kind of shitting all over something you really liked uh but he, he he said he really didn't have a problem with it like he he said there might have been a few moments here or there but it wasn't that bad so then i got optimistic again and then i just couldn't hear anything and i got, that was just a straight up complaint i had but i hadn't quite put it in those terms where you were just like yeah like you know if it's going to all like so much of this movie it's already hard to understand is going to be like really reliant on you fully comprehending a lot of people's explanations like you should be able to hear the explanations but again what i'm saying is i'm not the first to say what you can hear it's fairly generic like action movie dialogue and like a lot of people have called it nolan's bond film but like i mean i thought it was lesser writing than like a lot of james bond movies i, 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 I knew know. we were in trouble very early on when we got to the but what about cause coming before effect conversation like <laughs> it was just so stilted like there is a way to have those conversations that have been done in many other time travel films that did not come across as clunky or as stilted as this. Well, it's weird. It's because like I, time, I struggle with time travel movies. I don't know how you generally feel about them. I mean, I, I, there are some that I really like, um, but like very often, like I still with a lot of them, I'm really left like frustrated trying to like close all the different plot holes or uh, logic gaps and how this affected that or how, or how if that happened, how did that happen back there? Like they often leave me more frustrated than satisfied. I, I don't know of any that I feel like totally, you know, I actually watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure recently because I'm preparing <laughs> to do a podcast on the new one and I actually think it holds up and it, it's not too, it, it, I don't really, I didn't really have that kind of problem within that way. I think Looper is legitimately like I was gonna foolproof. It's pretty yeah. foolproof, but most other like i struggle with even like the event the avengers endgame like i some of that really kind of didn't like i really love that movie but like it didn't all totally click for me and it's, but wouldn't you rather have a plot hole than a plot you don't understand because right, at right. least if you have a plot hole that means you followed it enough to see where the hole oh is. definitely i think i prefer that but it's kind of funny because like this I didn't the, that kind of issue with the time travel movie wasn't even present in Tenet because it just Tenet just blows right through that by like you know being obviously blatantly about time travel but in such a way that's incomprehensible that you can't even really have that kind of frustration about it it was like a, a new kind of time travel frustration compared to what I normally deal with just just to further the looper point because these two films have sort of similar lines in them um, where they both tell you they, they signpost at different points of the film, do not think too much about time travel, right? Don't get hung up on it. We're moving on. Except Looper actually lives by its word and then spends the rest of the film developing the characters, developing the plot, and getting you invested. Christopher Nolan's film tells you, don't worry about how this works. Just feel it. And then spends the next two hours Trying to tell you throwing <laughs> quantum string theory at you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I told you, if you just if you had spent that week learning physics like I told you to, Nick, sure. then you would have been fine. <laughs> um, uh, so when you – I mean, I don't – again, I, I'm not going to try and sit here and have us spend uh, – 30 minutes like working through the plot but i mean i yeah. think i was closer to where you were and that like i mean i was fairly lost from the beginning but like i think i i think i almost followed them up until the freeport sequence 
But at the same time, I didn't actually understand the painting, which I think you joked about right off the top. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, okay. Completely unnecessary. Like, and irrelevant to the film. I think, I think there could have been a way, because, I mean, Elizabeth Debicki, great actress. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw Widows. I highly recommend you watch Widows if you never saw Widows. Uh, she is great in it. So is uh, Brian Tyree Henry and Daniel Kaluuya and amongst others. But... Uh, I, I, but I, I mean, I, I just love her, and I think there's a, certainly a way where she and John David Washington have, have enough chemistry where you can have him ingratiate himself to her without having to go through this painting thing. Because I mean, I spent like, I, 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 I actually, my, my, my the th- amount of time devoted in this film to this drawing, <laughs> which I, I think is so inconsequential, right? And I, I actually got on my phone. My, my, my drive-in was very strict about, like, the, at least with the way they threatened you. I don't think they were actually going to throw someone out for being on their phone in their car. But I, I tried to pull up Wikipedia to try and understand the thing with the painting while I was watching the movie. Okay, so she was a little bit in trouble because this thing was fake. But I guess he can tr- hit why, her. Why isn't it enough that they have a child together and that he's a bad person and that's the point he of has, it, Because uh, that's the rest of the film. I was like, does this painting have supernatural powers? It's like, this painting allows him to control her. And I was like, wait, so he'll ruin her reputation as an art critic if people know it's fake? Why Why, why can't she just, why, like, why can't it just be, like, destroyed and all? Like, I, I was like, why, why? And it's not revisited. For, for the half yeah. hour we spend on it, it's never revisited again. And then it's like we're going to spend another half hour going to this airport and I, I, the, learning about these Freeport things where rich people will hide their stuff for tax purposes or something. And then we need to blow it up, but we also need to blow a plane up in the process. But at the same time, like, uh, hey, wait, it's actually not there. And I was like, wait, what, 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 what couldn't we have just, I don't know, spend that half hour on anything else? If this, right. if, if this, this painting is just not going to be there? development, perhaps. <laughs> Comprehensible dialogue. Um, you know, but, but between the drawing and, and the artifact that we're looking for and then the algorithm at the end, like this film is like a series of MacGuffins that like almost reminded me of Rise of Skywalker because we're constantly looking for something, but like none of it matters. Um, <laughs> so a second straight podcast where we've uh, joked about it being Rise of Skywalker because just uh, dumped on Rise of Skywalker. Uh, 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 well, Mulan was actually basically the Rise of Skywalker in disguise, uh, but well, that, th- this was more like Harry Potter in disguise. Like, what, for, I don't know why he. Oh yeah, these are Horcruxes. Yeah. It doesn't mean whatever he thinks it means, first of all. Um, and I'm sure there's, like, thematic resonance to all this if I only got on Reddit, which I'm not going to do. Um, so I don't know why it's called the algorithm because it's – as best I understand it, it's a bomb. And we learned that the bomb was in nine parts. But by the time we learned that the bomb was in nine parts, the bomb is in one part. Now the bomb's together. So so what difference did it ever make that it was in nine parts? Like – yeah. I, I am positive that if I just get in a Reddit hole, I can figure out that, like – I, I don't know. All of this stuff means something on some level that I'm just not thinking on. The problem is if the film can't stand on its own while you watch it, then it fails on its own. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess it's just, it's weird. Like you're, you just kind of went through this whole nine parts, this parts, that parts, this part. And it's like for as much time as they did spend on the exposition, it's like maybe they could have just like spent, I don't know if they just spent half the amount of time on exposition as they did but then had it be like one really good explanation that like even if it was just like a very clunky info dump that like actually made sense that you could hear then if they had pulled that off before the final the the pincer movement thing then like maybe it kind of the film kind of clicks more and you just kind of get it but it's like they they had so much wasted motion that they didn't even get the explanation right for us to appreciate that last sequence and I, I would agree. It's a two and a half hour film mm-hmm. where you go at the end. I look. I didn't get the plot. I didn't understand the plot. 
and you didn't develop the characters. So what did you do with your two and a half hours? So you didn't uh, you didn't really feel connected to uh, the, the terminally <laughs> ill Kenneth Branagh? No, and, and actually, before we get to that, okay. uh, before we get to seeing Chew and Kenneth Branagh, the part that I would have cared to hear about, mm-hmm. the only fascinating line of the movie when he explains his motivation just goes, hey, uh, we, we burned planet Earth. The future's really mad at us because we expended every natural resource and they're out to get revenge and to kill us in the present. That was fascinating. And like I, I wanted like I could have done more with that. You had two and a half hours, and you slipped that in, and we never got anything else. You know what it made me think about? As just, I, I don't know if I people on the podcast have probably heard me make this point before, but I don't know if I've ever talked about it with you, even though you're somewhat of a DC Comics fan. Uh, yeah. how, what are your feelings on Aquaman? The movie? Yeah. Did you like it? Did you see it as the bright spot that many people did in DC? Yeah. So um, I, I thought it was gorgeous to look at, and like it's. It's probably like a C film, yeah. but like it was so great to look at that it was just highly enjoyable. And like Momoa clearly enjoys himself in the role. So you, that was the kind of movie where you could turn your brain off and have fun. And that's what I did. And that's not the kind of movie that tended. Well, my thing, well, more so than that was that like I thought, like, I mean, it was, it, it felt like a C movie, which feels like an A compared to a lot of the other stuff DC had been putting out up yeah. until that point. But, uh, cause, or, or, or aside from Wonder Woman, cause I think, or no. Was that the same year as Wonder Woman? Yeah, I guess it was later in the year. But uh, it was close enough. Yeah, but like, so Wonder Woman was fine. But like, my thing was that like I thought there was a huge missed opportunity in Aquaman to be a movie about climate change, uh, like simultaneously everything else because there was a lot going on with like just how their under the sea whole thing was being like yeah. taken care of, and it could have been like Black Panther, but uh, but, but, but for climate change, based on like you have this villain that actually really cares about how this part of the, the their world and it's getting shit on, and it just didn't really have an interest in going there. And I kind of agree with you where it's like hell they spent so much time on stupid physics shit and Tenet, where it's like hey. Christopher Nolan, like you, I know you have other maybe weightier ideas on your mind about like time and the meaning of life and all that, but like maybe this whole thing about like you actually kind of destroying the planet was maybe kind of interesting. And you had this character who was like a total ham in this really ridiculous performance, but hey, you had a chance to give it more meaning and you just didn't really seem like you wanted to go there. And I, that was what I kind of felt like about the Patrick Wilson character in Aquaman. It's like, yeah, this guy is like totally ridiculous, but like I see a version of this movie where I actually take him more seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and and look, I'm okay with playing with all these themes. If we wanted to get into, we wanted to get into the climate change stuff, absolutely. If we want to talk about inverted time, great. There's just no reason that the dialogue had to be as bad as it is. Hmm. Like, not only is it incomprehensible, what you can understand is bad flatly. Here's the thing: the only thing you're left with in this film is how impressive the visual effects are, right? Because if we've agreed that, that there's no character development and that the plot is is not capable of being followed, then all we have is this thing that's pretty to look at, which I guess now means that, like, Christopher Nolan turned into Michael Bay overnight. Yeah. Um, Ooh, shots so, fired. <laughs> well, I, that's, that's where we are with Tenet. Mm. It, but here's the problem. The plot actually works against the visual effects because at least in a Michael Bay film, like, I can... You can just I watch something blow up and not think happening. much... You can watch stuff blow yes. up and not think much more about it, yeah. Or not wonder why, because I appreciate the fact that it's Michael Bay. But, like... It isn't clear on why anything is happening in this movie. So what difference does it then make how cool it looks? Like the battle at the end, you referenced this, is so disorienting. And and I don't think that that's supposed to have any sort of like 
thematic point right, to but it. it's very visually impressive but it's like sure and that building exploded and it repaired itself but, and exploded again part of what is visually so cool it's like watching these guys but yeah but part of what's so visually cool about it is like watching all these guys go move backwards which is very unique and uh very impressive on a technical level that they kind of pulled that off but that again is all wrapped up in all this inversion stuff that we really haven't been able to fully understand no, we don't understand it. It's it's not clear why any of this stuff is happening, particularly if the only events that matter is John David Washington, the protagonist, you know, in the tunnel at the end trying to stop the bomb. Everything else is window dressing up top. It's just stuff blowing up for the sake of stuff blowing up. Well, I'm glad you got you went there because that was one thing I had in like my my bullet list of points was after I was going to ask you that larger question at the beginning about what's the version of this that you could see yourself enjoying if you can't comprehend anything like neither of us really did. Uh, can you at least appreciate it on an aesthetic level? And I appreciate the point you made about how like yeah, I mean no, the aesthetics are probably too much wrapped up in the plot. But uh, one thing I've seen from both in some of the written reviews and the podcasts I've listened to is people who didn't even understand it still kind of liked it for the aesthetics because it's like they just kind of appreciate hey he's going to do bond we're going to watch him go to fancy places and watch all these guys wear fancy suits and wear really nice boat shoes and uh and close-fitting mm-hmm. boat polo shirts and stuff like that and it's like yeah okay like that's cool like i guess i it's fun watching robert pattinson and uh john david washington play dress up and watching michael kane uh give john david washington shit for uh only wearing brooks brothers which i mean man i would take a brooks brothers suit i mean that'd be nice uh so but it's really it's really shitty in the world of this movie if you're only wearing brooks brothers like yeah that stuff is fine but if like that's the only thing i can like unabashedly embrace in your movie then like that's a problem right i can remember that like that the protagonist couldn't get ta- like box takeout. That's what I remember about. Oh this. right, that was fun. Yeah, yeah that's and that fun. was great. It's and like I, and more of that. say what you will about Christopher Nolan, like, and we and I think we both like most of his other movies. Like, yes. that might be a funnier moment than just about anything else in any of his other movies. Like, he doesn't have a lot of humor in any of his movies, so it is funny that he found space for that at least a few points in this movie. But it, like, there just wasn't a whole lot else to hold on to. So. No, and it, what's disappointing about this to me is that all of the criticisms that are usually leveled against the films he's done in the past that I particularly enjoy, I've always thought were overblown. And it's like he reverse engineered this movie to justify all the criticism of his work today. <laughs> because I, I don't think that all of his other films are incomprehensible. I don't find them that serious. No, we even talked about that I don't on think the last they're podcast. that self-serious in spots. Like he does, he does you know, use humor and he can write dialogue uh it's clunky in spots in certain films but he can write good dialogue and he can have emotionally resonant scenes between characters i just don't know how none of that ended up in this film it's weird and i and i, and I even agree and even though like when we did the podcast on following a memento and I, I was very frustrated with myself that whole podcast because like i just found that stuff hard to talk about but i was clear in my making the point that I even if it's hard to like unpack in a way that makes a lot of sense when you're trying to just have a conversation about it, like all the other all the other movies, they make sense to me. I mean, yeah. And we even came to the conclusion that Memento is actually straightforward. It's just uh, it, just in the way it's edited, it just makes it a little hard to discuss in a comprehensible manner. But it makes it's actually pretty straightforward. And Interstellar and Inception, they still 
Interstellar and Inception, they still make sense at the end to me. I mean, they, yeah, they, they're, 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 they're fun to talk about, though, because they make sense and they leave plenty of room for interpretation. But, like, they, they give you enough structure and make enough sense that it's easy to have a fun conversation about them. Whereas yeah. Tenet's like, we're not even going to give you that structure with which you can kind of uh, find other fun areas to dive into to make to have discussions and uh, make draw your own conclusions. There's no there's no actual real comprehensive or there's no real uh story actual story structure to hold on to that just allows you to do that and that's very frustrating it seemed like like he was just uh yeah it seemed like he was just out there to kind of drive all of his angriest critics even more mad and <laughs> i guess if that's what he, if that's what he wanted to do congrats to him i do actually as disappointed as i am i do in some way respect his hustle and respect the flex and respect whatever you want to call it, the gall to get a studio to give him that much money to make something like this. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, like I'm going to take all of uh, Warner's money and just like do something that like, I'm sure no Warner executive is going to actually understand but they just, I have the clout to say, who cares? I don't care what you think. And I, it's like, well, he does cool seem to have carte blanche. Right. right. And, and I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it. I think um, yeah. if he makes another film like tenant, then we might have to revisit this conversation. But I do think it's worth pointing out that he's really the only guy who gets the budget that he gets to make original works, right? Like there's plenty of $200 million movies that get made, but they're all works of, of intellectual property. He's, and, and please hop in and, and if I'm forgetting somebody, he's the only guy who consistently gets $200 million for something that no one has ever seen, that no one is aware of, and then he keeps it under wraps until it comes out. Like that's a unique position in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like closest parallel is Quentin Tarantino, but it's not even quite that much money. I, as you were saying, that I looked up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I had a budget of about a hundred million, so it's like half of this. Well, it would half. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's working on even like another level from him, but it's that's the closest you're really gonna find. And and Scorsese, Scorsese, like I mean, I, he's off doing his weird stuff. Where I actually Irishman might have cost two hundred million dollars after you factored in all the all, just. All all the money they spent on the de-aging and like yeah. and i he's already shopping his next movie to like other streaming people to get even more money than he was originally going to get from a studio so it's basically those three and no one's like uh, i mean no one has an easier time of it than martin scorsese at this point because martin scorsese's having to like go around and beg people for money whereas no one has this pre-existing relationship with warner brothers and yeah i mean it, it's it's crazy and it's like it's just it, it is a little unfortunate though because you know uh we're heading into this time where like the f future of movies is somewhat tenuous at the moment like I, I don't think we're gonna have to worry about like um our, our uh the batman which we're both obviously excited about like yeah. uh, stuff like that might still get made but again it's it's ip and uh right. yeah and, that, and and that's something no one's gotten to do before but i mean uh places in the future uh assuming we are back to normal at this time next year which is about exactly when batman's probably the batman will come out if we have a vaccine by then and they're not trying to do whatever they're they doing finish I mean, it all yeah coming. yeah i guess th this will be almost a good place to kind of talk about our, our 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 thoughts on just the theater going experience and no one's using of this clout we're talking about to try and get this into theaters but at the same time it's like if if the movies are gonna to have to operate a little differently going forward it's probably gonna be because of fewer risks and this is one of the guys that gets to take risks so when people take risks you want them to actually like really succeed on them and even if the i mean who knows this in times being normal maybe this thing still would have made a shit ton of money 
anyway, even if we didn't like it, but that's just not the case now. And it needed to like, it probably needed to be a little more universally good to really be considered a success, both from a critical standpoint and from a commercial standpoint. And if it had been a better movie, it, who knows, maybe it would be making more money, but I think that might have more to do with COVID than anything. But it, it, regardless, like we, it, the, when someone has the ability to get stuff like this made, like, especially when we're headed into a more perilous time for movies, you would have hoped that like, it would have been a more unabashed success. So people are more willing to take risks on people like him, you know? Absolutely. And if you want to talk about the future of movies <laughs> and, and his insistence on getting this in us theaters. So he annually, no, I shouldn't say annually, uh, he regularly, when he puts out a film, is going to gross about a billion dollars internationally. Um, I believe two of the Batman films did it. I want to say Inception did it. And I, I know I'm just sort of rattling off numbers mm -hmm. here, but this is a guy who spends about $200 million on a film with, with the studio goal of being something in the range of a billion dollars, right? This film right now is pulled in, according to Box Office Mojo, $200 million internationally and $37 million domestic. I, I do not know if this would have done better at, as video on demand at home, where they charge you 30 bucks, like, like what Disney is doing with Mulan. Mm -hmm. And granted, that's also behind you know another paywall because you have to have Disney Plus, I think. But the idea of making people go to a theater to see this in the, in the pandemic we're living in, it's not a decision that seems like it's working out financially, Josh, right? Yeah, I don't know what his. It seems stubborn. Yeah, I don't. And I guess they had to do something because the 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 studios are hurting. You know, I think some of them were some of there were some of the ones that made early calls just to move stuff. Kind of got an early beat on, like I guess the earlier stuff that got moved kind of got the priority of just like being given the blessing of a twenty twenty one release date. And those yeah. movies, no, and those those studios that like moved No Time to Die right away to the end of the year or the new Fast and the Furious movie all the way to next year because they knew that was going to be one that relies on a lot of international box office. So I, well, that, that's Universal property too, whereas Universal has put a lot of other stuff out on on demand because Trolls they're like... World Tour? Right, Tr Trolls World Tour and the um, I think a lot of those early pandemic releases were affiliated with Universal. I think uh, Invisible Man was too, if yeah. I remember correctly. And uh, I mean, I didn't really like The, Hell, or the Hunt and... Uh, MO is okay, but like a lot of those were universal. I think they, they started experimenting with that. But same idea being like some of these like big ones just got like pushed all the way to next year. So it's like when the big stuff gets pushed, they need to figure out a way to make money off of everything else. So I don't, I feel like, I feel like if no one had just taken that tack from the very beginning and been like, all right, fine, push me until summer of next year then I think he probably could have gotten it done. But I think his ego, which he, I'm not going to criticize the guy for having an ego. Like he's earned the right to have an ego, but I think he was like, I want to be the guy to reopen theaters. So then he locked himself into this where it was like, all right, well, we're going to rely on you to like kind of help our bottom line at the end of the year here at Warner's. So if you're going to, if you're going to like want to be the guy to reopen theaters, we'll, we'll play this game with you. Like, I don't know. I mean, so maybe at that point, once he made that call, maybe it was either going to be like, look, we're going to have to like give you some weird release with it, some weird, weird platform staggered theater release because of the nature of COVID or you're going to go on demand. And so naturally him and his feelings about the theater experience, he's going to he's going to demand the former. And so he kind of locked himself into that and just kind of became the guy that was going to have his 
movie be the one to save theaters at that point because they needed to put something out this year and he sure as hell didn't want it to be on demand uh i i, I don't think it's a question it makes more money if you put it on demand i mean yeah. i just i mean if once you see Do we the, have numbers from milan and i I'm just curious. I have not. I I I have not actually seen that right now. But I'll see. I'll see if something pops up. But I mean, I think Disney probably kept it a little more under wraps. I would think. Um, uh, uh, I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm typing in Mulan earnings on there right now. Um, uh, th- th- 33.5 million in streaming Labor Day debut. So I mean, okay, so it's about even. Yeah. But, oh. Well, just the Labor Day debut. But, I mean, but, but the thing is, like, I, I think they. I, oh, I guess it's the same thing where it's like it's international. So mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if it, I don't know if like when a when a streaming platform is uh, putting out like movies like that, if like it gets counted to like box office mojo the same way like it would right. for Dunkirk because Dunkirk just doesn't have that. So like Mulan got put out in theaters in China, but apparently isn't doing great. It shows up as fifty seven million on on there so i don't know i think it's been very controversial in china too it's been very controversial in china here because of some of the stuff in china i i don't know but like i i think i think when it all dust settles if disney ever kind of like releases a number they're just going to make a ton of money because it's just it just logically follows that if trolls world tour is going to be profitable for universal yeah. then of course Mulan is going to be profitable so i i i think everyone would acknowledge that like I, I still would have done the driving thing, and we'll talk about our driving experiences in a minute. But like, I still would have done that if it was like you can buy it for thirty here or go to a drive-in. But like, a drive-in is like that's just a unique experience that like the masses aren't necessarily going to seek out. Though they've obviously experienced a bit of a resurgence as a result of COVID. But mm-hmm. I, I just think that's a, it's becoming a thing that a lot of people are more accustomed to. And I was not one that was like super fatalistic about the fate of movies in general before uh, before COVID. I mean, like, yeah, maybe that's not quite what it used to be but like plenty of people are still going to see movies big ones at least and i think but but the, but the fact is like it was becoming a more popular thing just to stream at home regardless like uh just to be like oh no i'll wait till i can stream it and it's just mm-hmm. a thing it's inevitable people are more comfortable with it even with the christopher nolan movie i bet i mean even if though he's one of the few who you'd want to go to a theater for and definitely want to go to an imax for and it would have been my preferred method of doing it because i live across the street from an imax uh I think more people are getting comfortable not doing that. And if they had put it out on uh, VOD, like I think plenty of people would have bought it. Like, yeah, there's the yeah. risk. And I, I don't get scared away by those dollar figures. I'm a, I'm a pragmatist about it. And if you, if it's out of your, if it's out of your personal comfort zone as to what you will spend to spend like 30, or even if they'd done like 40 for this, like I get it. If the driving wasn't an option, like I probably pay that, but I, I, I get that it's not there for everyone, but I think enough people are fine doing that. People can get together in small groups and make it worth their while to watch it and do that safely. Like, like pay-per-view boxing or like a fight that people order. Yeah. We're right. all going to plunk down 50 bucks or whatever. Right. And we'll get six of us together. You, 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 went, to, you went to tenant with four people if you right. include your wife and maybe those two people are kind of within your circle of people you don't mind hanging out with right now and you would have watched it with them and it would have been well worth it it would have come out to an average of ten dollars a person or something like i think it would have made more money doing well, that you know as well as i do if you go to an imax movie that's twenty dollars a pop anyway so if my wife and i go to an imax film i'm paying forty dollars anyway i might as well pay it on my couch and then not have to run the risk of in you know encountering a global pandemic yeah so there's the there's the there's that side of it for people like us there's the in like mulan has the thing going for it where it's like parents will just buy something to put in in front of their kids and like if you have kids and you go to a movie like that's a that's even more money than if it's just like a a, a childless couple like 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 you and your wife like i mean the the the, the disney stuff has that going for it. i know i know i just rambled a lot but i think <laughs> no, but, but it's a worthwhile conversation about about 
Yeah, so that's that's, that's before you even get to that's this. before you even get to the morality of it. It's like right. One like you're Christopher Nolan. Don't don't some things matter more than this? Right, like you you've made so much money, you're so beloved. It, it, is it really worth it for you? For and I get it. Like this probably this movie probably means a lot to him. Like as I'm sure, and we just talked for 45 minutes about how it doesn't make any sense. The movie I'm sure 100 percent makes sense to Christopher Nolan. I still have, I have no, no doubt. I still have no doubt about that. That he could he could answer any question you have. I might not understand it, his answer, but I'm sure it all internally makes sense to him. He poured a ton into this. I'm sure he like kind of emptied all this shit that's in his head, and it. it's a very uh, personal movie in some ways. I'm sure and means a lot to him that this thing got made. I get that, but like, bro, you have so much money. You have you've been nominated for Oscars. Like, you've done so many good things. Uh, people love you. Have a highest approval rating of, amongst like directors of your scale. Like, is it the end of the world if you have one movie that does not play wide in theaters? I, I so many other so many other directors have just like you know you know like Judd Apatow. You didn't hear him bitching about it. I mean, yeah, I get it. Comedies play differently. Like it, they don't call for the big screen like this one. But Judd Apatow is a pretty like prestigious filmmaker in his in his own lane. He the guy only directs like once every four or five years at this point. Like it's a big deal when Judd Apatow makes a movie. And he he was like totally chill. And it's like this movie that like he obviously like worked on for a long time with Pete Davidson, which uh, the King of Staten Island just. Universal's like, all right, we're going to put your... Oh, yeah, I was rattling off Universal movies earlier. That's another Universal one. And he was just like, yeah, fine. I'll, I'll go out and I'll do press and I'll be happy about it. And I understand the times we're in and this is just the safest way to do it. And I'd rather it just not sit on the shelf and I'm going to have a good attitude about it. There's no if you're reason Warner why. Brothers and you're worried about your bottom line, like you and I both agree they could have made more money doing it the other way. That's right. well, what's well, really well, The thing bad. is, we don't know how beholden they really are to him. Like, he works with them. Yeah. Uh, and maybe he works on a big enough scale where it's like a movie by movie thing as opposed to having like a universe, like a, a set, like, like, like an overall deal yeah. with them. I, I don't know. But like, I, I maybe he has a lot. Of, uh, we don't really know what kind of leverage he has with them. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, hey, I'm not doing my next movie with you guys if you screw me over on whatever theater provision I have in this contract. I, I don't know what exactly there is with that, but it sounds like he was pretty, uh, pretty set on it going this way and like i don't know I, that's one thing i probably could have done is i could have gone and sought out more interviews with him before we actually recorded maybe there aren't that many out there and we're just all putting words in his mouth but it seems like it's no one would really be shocked if he was really advocating that hard for the theater thing and i just don't think there's like a real uh i don't think there's a real good moral justification for it and if there is i no. feel like he i feel like he owes it to uh the public to like actually go out there and talk about it because the fact is there are people that probably don't take this pandemic as seriously as you and i who are gonna just rationalize that it's okay to go there christopher nolan says yeah sure my my movie can play in a theater just the fact that like I, hell i was even thinking about it in those terms three months ago like I was even doing that where people would ask me, hey, what's, what, when are you going to go back to a theater? And my answer was just as simple as like, I'll go back when something like Tenet's back because the theaters aren't going to risk putting something like I, I guess that was naive of me to expect better of a massive corporation. Uh, sh like I, I got to know better than to do that. Uh, but my answer was the movie theaters are not going to put big movies back in there until they can be in New York and L.A. because those are where so much of the money comes from. And mm -hmm. those places aren't going to put movies in the movies in theaters and theaters aren't going to hold big new movies like that until they can be guaranteed they're going to make a lot of money. And they still rush this right back in. And. I, I, stop working at, at a point where I did not feel safe. So I only did it at the drive-in. So the fact that, but I, I was thinking about that at some point and I'm sure there's some people that like had that same thought as me, but didn't really like, 
backtrack off of that line of thought like I did, and they were like, oh, well, I mean, if the, if the theaters are willing to, like, show a movie like this, then it must be kind of safe. So, I mean, I think that, like, Christopher Nolan does, like, have people that are going to just follow his lead on that, and it's, like, a really big moral issue because we have now 200,000 dead people from this thing. <sighs> yeah, that's why I didn't go. As for the as for the drive-in experience, yeah. So we both we both we both we both the one who put the idea in my head. Yeah, we both got to see it on big screen. Still, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's not an option for everyone. I mean, I I don't know how many drive-ins there are in the country, but like, I mean, I think they're everyone's a lot of people probably are within an hour of one. You probably drove almost an hour and an hour, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So how was your drive-in experience? Could you see yourself? I mean, I will do that again. Well, I mean, okay. So that that's 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 what I was going to ask. Is I mean, Christopher Nolan, obviously someone that means a lot to you. No question, you'd be willing to travel a 45 minute drive for it but was the overall experience good enough for you that you would do it for a non-christopher nolan movie yeah i really enjoyed it we um my wife and i went with two friends we took two cars got there an hour early to pick out a good spot and brought tailgate chairs and a cooler and sat and had beer in the parking lot and hung out outside because you know outside's fine right and then you got in your car and you listen to the audio and you watch the film and it was when we got out, we just walked right back outside the car and, and complained about it. But it was, you know, overall a positive experience in so many ways. There's not a lot of things you could do to get out of the house anymore. So, right, so it's not like you had a lot of other great options for your Friday night, I guess. Right. You know, so so this is an opportunity. It's like, well, what do we care if we have to drive 45 minutes? It's, it's an opportunity to go somewhere to do something. And if you're going to have to get there early, that's an hour. We get to just hang outside and talk to friends and. Overall, it was an overwhelmingly positive experience. The only downside, of, you know, was the film itself. Um, and, and I actually couldn't tell. I was like, oh, um, I wonder if the sound is an issue, you know, because of the drive-in experience. And it's just, you know, it's, it's not working properly. And then, sure enough, when I got home and found out that, no, this, this was a common problem, uh, it made the drive-in experience even better. It just made the movie worse. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I like I said, I'd already listened to a podcast that kind of made me think the sound was gonna be a problem. But like, I had my own set of issues at the drive-in. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm in a part of Florida where the weather is a little hotter than where it is for you. I, I, have, I had a number of issues with my driving experience, but none of which was really <laughs> necessarily the fault of the drive-in. I also got there early because I wanted to get a good spot. I went to a there's a there's a really good taco truck like uh less than a mile on the same road as the drive-in theater and I've been to this taco truck enough I just had never even really I knew there was a theater somewhere in Lake Worth which is this uh other town in Palm Beach County but I just never actually known where it was and it was less than a mile from this taco truck I go to fairly regularly so I got my tacos I went to the theater I got there an hour early there's like a there's like a drive-in like ticket window kind of like a toll booth at this place yeah and there was no one there like, so I just like drove in. I was like, wait, where do I buy it? Cause I, I could tell at the back of the lot, there was like an actual kind of building. So I'm like, oh, maybe you go to buy the tickets up there. And I saw all these cars gathered around this building, even as the, one of the screens was kind of like, uh, kind of at the front of the lot running parallel to the road that I came in on. And another one was in the back left corner of the lot, but I saw this building with a bunch of cars in it at the back. And I was like, okay, well maybe I need to drive up to this thing and get out of my car to buy my ticket. And I drive up and I kind of see like a little bit of a path through some cars. And I'm like, oh, maybe there's like a path around this building. And then all of a sudden, like a guy like walks up to me and like holding his hand out, like stop. So I roll down my window (laughs) and all I hear is a bunch of Spanish. And I mean, even though I I wish I knew how to talk Spanish, it would make me like such a more effective person living in South Florida. I didn't understand anything except catorce. 
and that was it. Which I mean, I know enough to know that's fourteen, but like I was like, okay. And the guy waved me off as he was walking to my car. I heard Couture saying, "I heard some guy waving me off." So I was like, okay. So I like at that point, I just like pulled back out, and I just like drove right into like what would be the prime spot for the drive-in. I was like, all right, well, I'll just like get my car ready. I don't know if I'm going to buy a ticket or not. And then all of a sudden I see like a line of cars at the toll booth and I like look up, look at my phone and I see on there the uh, Lake Worth swap and shop uh, ticket, ticket office opens at seven thirty, and I got there at seven. The movie was at eight. So I was like, Oh, well I got there before the ticket thing even opened. So I guess I need to go back out if I want to be honest and pay for my ticket, even though they just literally didn't stop anyone from driving in, I guess because they have some other kind of game in Spanish that involves numbers at this building. So that's what people that would be getting there before 7.30 would be going there for, except I'm the weirdo that got there at 7 to guarantee myself a good spot at the drive-in. So you you showed up for bingo more or less. I, I, I'm guessing it might have been bingo. I didn't. I guess swap and shop is like a fancy different word for, for flea market uh, from okay. what I could gather from this website, but I didn't know if like there was some other kind of uh, game with uh, Spanish origins that involved – numbers that i just didn't know about but it could have been bingo i i i, I don't feel 14 <laughs> yeah i i i, I th- probably so I, I was honest and i didn't just stick in the drive-in though i don't think there's really anything stopping me from that like they didn't have directions that made you like put tickets on your dash or anything like that but i was like all right i'm gonna be honest i need to support places like this it's they're doing a great service in the pandemic so i drive back through the drive-in i buy my ticket i try and get right back to a good spot like right on the front line of cars in the center and then a car just like right right near the center line because I, I didn't want to risk having a car in front of me that was kind of blocking my view. So I got about like to the front row that where the, I could comfortably fit the whole screen uh, within my front windshield. And this car was like right on the line, like directly over a parking line where it looked like they had set up spots for cars to be. It just totally ignored it. It was the first car in this main row and it just totally ignored the proper spots that were already painted in. So I was like, all right, I can like go like two cars over to you to have enough room to like actually be within a proper spot. Or I can uh, just kind of be the next guy. Like, you know how, like, if you th- there's a limited parking spots in a parking lot and someone parks on the line, then you have to park on the line if you want to have time to space to get yeah. out of your door? Like, it was like that, where it's like, I'm going to have to, like, kind of add to this chain of cars not doing it right if I want to be seated right in the center or, and then risk someone coming to make me move. Or I can just, like, go to something that's more off to the side and be completely in a spot. So I took that risk, and luckily no one tried to kick me out. But then when the movie started, within about... 10 minutes of the movie starting, I had someone come knock on my window and ask me to turn my headlights off. And I had turned my headlights off to what said off, but apparently there were still part, part of my headlights that were on. Well, I was like, totally fair. Like, they were within their rights to tell me to do that, but, like, I realized I didn't know how to turn the headlights off of my own car. I've had this car for <laughs> three years. I've never had any reason to turn all of the lights off while still... Josh, keeping- I've had my car for three weeks. I figured it out, though. Oh, well, good for you. But, like, I I never... I, I had this car for three years, and I, and I, I didn't... I've never tried to turn turn the headlights off without turning the car off and i had to turn the car off and this was like probably one part where the exposition was kind of pretty important it was right well it was right after the um uh john david washington fails to take the cyanide and he wakes up and he has someone explain to him that he is in an organization called tenant and i'm still not sure how he uh I, I i we never really talked about that i don't know how he didn't know what organization he was working for i thought he was cia but it's like nope you actually work for something 
and you didn't realize who you're working for? I don't really know and why. And spoiler this. alert, he's his own boss or something. Yeah, I, I, whatever. But, like, he's apparently the boss <laughs> of everything, even though he didn't even know who he was working for in the beginning. But that, that, seemed, like, that, that, that didn't seem to – like, I get it that, like, they kind of surprise him at the end when they're like, oh, yeah, like, uh, you're in charge of everything. But that doesn't explain why he didn't know who he was working for at the very beginning uh, when they tell him, oh, no, you're, you're not CIA. Like, how does he not know he's not CIA? I, I, I don't know. Anyway, it was right after that cyanide thing where the guy knocked on my door. I had to turn my car off and then put the emergency brake on and then turn it back on. And that's how ah. you get – yeah, that, at least that's how I'm, – I'm really glad that the guy at the movie theater knew how to do it to my car because I didn't know how to do it. And they might have kicked me out. Then about two hours in, like I see, on my, I see that the, the temperature I, – I looked at my phone. It had changed from like 70 to 76 degrees. It had been like 87 at the start, and I was like, oh, maybe I can just turn my car off and not run the AC – because and then like because i've been like running my entire car for two hours at this point with the engine completely on and now that it's not super hot outside so i will now turn my car off turn it back on make sure the lights are off still but then like not be using as much gas and just like not killing the environment as much and then i turned it so i I did that and i turned my car just on with the radio on but not the full engine and ac on but then it caused like my entire front windshield to fog up so then I spent like the next like tw- I spent like the next twenty minutes like trying to wipe the windshield from the in- the windshield from the inside, and then pressing like that vent button that we all have in our AC unit in our car. Now I don't really know what it does. I know it sometimes clears things up. Uh, I picture you just like like drawing the word tenant over and over again <laughs> inside of your windshield, slowly losing your mind. I mean that was basically I I, I kept trying to find random like paper towels in my car to like wipe it down uh, for like a good fifteen minutes before I I think I might have given up and just turned the car on again and just prayed that it didn't turn all my lights on again uh so yeah like i i had my own string of issues i was like so i was a little hesitant at first to uh just come out and just like just shit on the movie i was like i i had a weird viewing experience (laughs) where like i might have missed some important exposition in the beginning because of my own like miss my own failures with knowing the how to turn off the lights in my car turns out that like most of the movie was that it wasn't your fault that, that no one could hear and all of that was on top of not really able, being able to hear it that clearly to begin with i could hear the stuff that you could hear like i heard clearly through my radio so i realized all right this isn't really my fault but like when you're already having some issues like this with like i mean just your windshield fogging up or like you know whatever like it's only going to give you a few more distractions when there's already hard enough to follow the action as it is so and that's all to say that like if I go in November to this drive-in and the weather's good and I don't have to turn my engine fully on and it's a movie with normal sound mixing, probably a great experience. But I was just like, I, I there, there was just a whole bunch of little things that like I let bother me too much and turn it into my own night of Kirby enthusiasm, basically. Yes, you you do sound uh, very Larry David esque. <laughs> I will say that my my driving experience was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, how many cars would you say that that you had? Oh, because ours was pretty full. Yeah, I think um, again I was in the front, so I didn't like. Um, but I, well, actually, I did go to the bathroom like right before, and then of course it started. That was another thing. It started pouring just in the between the time I went to the bathroom and went to buy popcorn, and then when I went to go back out to my car, so I got soaked also at the very beginning. Uh, but I think from what I can remember, when I ran back to my car, like I wouldn't be surprised if there were over a hundred cars there. That was going to be my guess. Yeah, um, for our experience and. I thought it was cool. A lot of people showed up early and, and more or less tailgated. Uh, you know, they had a concession stand for you to buy your own food, but a lot of people showed up with, with pizzas that they ate on the hood of their car. Um, my wife and I sat in our car. Our two friends who we went with um, just popped the, the back on, like, the back of an SUV and sat in the trunk and just played the, the sound through the speakers that were in the back of the car and were able to 
hear it as well, you know, as they could considering the, the mixing issues, but I would definitely do it again. They were advertising the, the new bond movie, which I guess is maybe November. That seems like, like an occasion to go. So it's, it's definitely the kind of thing where you don't mind the length of the drive. You know, mine, I live in Orlando, went to a theater in Lakeland, which is about halfway between Orlando and Tampa. And, you know, considering how much else there is or, or not to do in the world, then you don't mind the drive, and it's a good night out. And well, so it was you think, you definitely think, something I'd repeat. What do you say? So do you think Bond will still come out then? I mean, I know it's a little off topic for where we're at, but I mean, maybe not totally, I, since uh, a lot of people think this is Christopher Nolan's Bond movie. Do you think that'll come out in, in November? I guess. Like, I mean, like we're not going to have a vaccine by then. It Tenet hasn't done very well domestically. Do you think? I mean, Bond is a pretty international brand, so yeah. all of these other countries are handling it better than us. Like. Maybe it's not quite the budget as Tenet has, though they did have to redo a lot of it. Um, I don't know. Do you think that they'll try and find a way to push, or do you think they'll be like, all right, America, get your shit together with these drive-ins, and we'll make enough money overseas to just hopefully do better than Tenet? I don't know. Well, you raised a valid point earlier that um, a lot of these pictures that at least pushed back early you know, sort of got ahead of this. And now I guess Bond's next up just because it hasn't made a decision yet. Yeah, Wonder Woman pushed again to December, I think, and I, I believe. Um, Dune is still in December, but uh, again, like, are, are we really going to be in that different of a place in two and a half months? No, it, and the world is going to look the same, and if Tenant is grossing $37 million, you know, Chris Nolan is a proven box office draw, so, that, so it doesn't matter that it's not IP then really are, you're going to look at similar numbers for, for probably Wonder Woman and Bond. Well, well, those are the opposite in that, like, uh, Patty Jenkins and Kerry Joji Fuganagua aren't really household names, but, like, those are massive franchises. So I sure, don't know. Sure, but, you know, if something expected to gross around a billion dollars is going to end up doing 37 domestic after two to three weeks, then right. then I guess those those studios have to decide if that's an acceptable return rather than just not having it at all. Uh, we will see. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess last question. I mean, and you kind of answered this for me, like within your first few statements about, uh, tenant, but, uh, I had written down, I was going to ask you, does this make you any less excited for the Batman? But it seems like you, uh, thought Robert Pattinson was one of the, Pattinson bright spots was the, the highlight of the film yeah, for me, yeah, yeah. um, who doing it really on sheer charisma, because mm-hmm. again, the dialogue I, I could hear was not comprehensible to me. I didn't understand most of what he was saying, but he, you know, <laughs> he had fun doing he it. Had a certain air while he said it is is the best way I could describe it. Um, what's funny to me, and maybe we can do just a, a short Batman tangent here at the end. Mm-hmm. I, I love the trailer, by the way. I've watched it, you know, conservatively fifty times. <laughs> um, the first time I watched it, it was overwhelmingly clear to me that Matt Reeves is just going to make seven. Uh, and Zodiac with Batman. He's just like, I'm going to take two David Fincher films, slam them together and claim I was influenced by Chinatown. Sure. <laughs> I, I know what you were influenced by. And and Robert Pattinson does not, it, he appears like he's going to play a very different Bruce Wayne than we are used to. And the only reason I bring this up is because watching him in this film really made me think of the way that Christian Bale played Bruce Wayne in the Nolan films especially in Batman Begins, where he's, he's really trying to play up the, like the Playboy public persona. Um, Pattinson just has this breeziness to him where I absolutely could have dropped him in that role in 2005 
and he he would have knocked it that's out. A, that, that's He's a, gonna play a different version, but he could have done that. Still, that's a really good point because I uh, I think that's what a lot of people were kind of worried about though when they saw the trailer. I mean, maybe his hair looks a little weird just because like he looks a little different than guys that have played Bruce Wayne before. Yeah. Uh, handsome in his own right, but he's just, he's just a different type of looking person than uh, Christian Bale or Ben Affleck or any of the, really most of the guys that came before him. He's just a different looking kind of guy. And a lot of people were just kind of worried, like, oh, well, he's going to have the mask on and he can do the voice, whatever. He, I'm sure he can be a fine Batman, but can he be a Bruce Wayne? And, and there, there's, there's some segment of moviegoers that haven't quite done their homework on him. I know you've done a better job of it recently because you really didn't know him for much. A lot of, But a lot of people, and I know you're not really a person that's put a lot of time into the Twilight movies, if any, but um, a lot of people are just like, oh, Robert Pattinson, Twilight, bleh, not knowing that like he's done other stuff. And I, I was trying to sell you on that when it got announced, and you didn't like uh, Good Time as much as I did. But I think you still appreciated what he did there. But even if you appreciate what he did in Good Time, that's yeah. still not exactly the kind of performance you need to like give you Bruce Wayne. And you can say the same thing because I mean he's playing a very dour character from what I know of the Twilight movies, uh, and like he's done some other great stuff like uh, like The Lighthouse, like The Rover, uh, like. Lost City of Z, but none of them are what you would think of as a Bruce Wayne, and I guess, uh, and yeah, and Bruce Wayne is not exactly what Neil is in uh, Tenet, but it's a much better approximation than anything he's ever done, so I do think, if anything, yeah, maybe it should give, give people a little more reason to be optimistic about the Batman, because he might have answered the one question a lot of people had about him, so... Yeah, and I am overwhelmingly optimistic about the Batman based on on what we saw just in you know the ninety seconds or two minutes, whatever's out. Um, Did they ever get an answer on whether that was actually Colin Farrell as the Penguin? Because I heard like five yeah, different takes on that. Okay. It is, um, which was not what I was expecting. And and uh, you know the majority of the people when they first watched the trailer was like, "Where was Colin Farrell?" And it was like, "No, that, that was indeed him." Um, and then there are a bunch of people that are like, "You should have just gotten Richard Kind," and it's like, "Sure." <laughs> 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 I think that's probably what they did. Saved a lot on prosthetics. Make Colin Farrell look like Richard Kind. Uh, yeah, I am. I am overwhelmingly excited for that film, and uh, he can say whatever he wants about his influences. He he took two Fincher films and smashed them together, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah. So I mean. Uh, I guess we have about a year until that comes out, and hopefully there's hopefully there's no. Things are somehow it's turned around in the world by then. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and maybe at that point, uh, it would, uh, it will come through because it's kind of funny because we're doing we're, this recording is probably almost exactly. I mean, within a, within a few weeks of being uh, exactly a year of when we recorded a podcast about Joker, a movie that we both both also did not like but had expectations for. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully that doesn't become an annual thing where there's like some movie <laughs> that we're really excited about that is greatly disappoints because that one is basically set to come out in, I think, like October or November 2021. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully Robert Pattinson doesn't get COVID again or Paul Dano doesn't get COVID or Colin Farrell doesn't get COVID and there's something else that, or God forbid Matt Reeves because it seemed like they just kind of kept filming while Robert Pattinson was out and they filmed the stuff that didn't involve him. Uh, so... Hopefully uh, they get their act together and are safe on that set and it comes out and smoothly and uh, gives uh, Nick a movie he's excited about that actually delivers and <laughs> that we can talk about. Uh, yeah, I, do you have any other final thoughts on Tenet? I really don't want to spend that much more time thinking about it, but I figured I'd normally ask people if you have any other thoughts. No. <laughs> no, I don't mean to say it, Maggie. Um, I'm, glad we've reached the end, I'm glad we've reached the end of this friendship and – Safely, right. I guess. In the whatever. beginning of whatever. Yeah, whatever, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the, 
the easiest way to sum it up would be I can't believe how little is in this film given that it's two and a half hours long and two hundred million dollars. You know, you know what's also telling is that like we didn't even like, you know, when we talked about how a lot of the, um, just I mean, uh, about how a lot of the aesthetics like really didn't matter when they're wrapped up in the plot. We didn't even mm-hmm. talk about that freaking tractor trailer car chase heist scene, which like honestly might have been the most impressive thing even more so even if it maybe wasn't didn't take them as long or quite as much money to film as the pincher pincher thing but like that's like a pretty epic set piece that we just didn't even bother discussing because why correct because why (laughs) i you know i i hate to be so reductive about it um but but if you can't understand why anything has significance then something can look as cool as you want it to look um but you're still got, you know, I, it was an actively frustrating theater experience or drive-in experience in this case. And, and I did feel that like, I fell behind on this movie from five to 10 minutes in and never caught up. And it wasn't like I checked out at any point. I mean, I, I, I engaged with the film as best I could till the end. And then when credits rolled, I was, you know, confident that, <laughs> that it had missed the mark. And it's unfortunate because, you know, uh, this is a guy who occupies a really unique place in Hollywood who gets big budgets to make original works. These only come out once every few years. Um, and, and this one just happens to be a dud and, you know, maybe we'll see him again in 2023. All right. Well, um, I guess to try and end on a better note, is there anything you've watched recently that you actually enjoyed that you want to recommend to people? Started, started Lovecraft country. I only have seen the first episode, but it is sufficiently wild and I will be continuing on with that. Um, yeah, so, so 13 minutes before we started uh, recording this, I finished uh, last night's episode of Lovecraft Country. So there you go. It, 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 if you thought the first episode was wild, like you're in for even crazier shit once you get to episode five. I, the one that came on last night was six, but five is just like all kinds of weird. Uh, it, it, it won't disappoint if, if you're just looking for something weird but fun and uh, weird but not – honestly pretty weird and all out there but not actually that crazy to understand like the movie we just talked about. I will recommend Albert Brooks's Real Life. Uh, it got added. Okay. To the, it got added to the Criterion Channel recently, along with all of Albert Brooks's movies. Uh, within the next few weeks, I'm going to actually do an Albert Brooks episode with uh, our friend Josh and um, a, 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 a new guest who hasn't been on before. And I, I, I thought it was really cool. Have you ever seen Network, Nick? Yes. Okay, so I think uh, Real Life is pretty cool because it's like it came out three years after Network came out, but I mean, it was Albert Brooks basically doing Network, but for reality TV, but fi- huh. like 15 years, like 13 years before like the real world before ever came in there. Reality. Right. So it's like, I mean, you know, it's about a guy like Albert Brooks is playing himself in the movie that he's also, he's where he written, directed, wrote and directed the movie, but he cast himself as himself, as. Albert, as Brooks, Albert Brooks. As Albert Brooks. Oh, as Albert Brooks wanting to make a movie about an American family, a year in the life of an American family. And it's like they, they, they go through a whole casting process to find the right family, who they're going to film, thinking that like, oh, right, uh, it's going to be so riveting just watching real life for a family on a daily basis. And uh, it becomes complicated because he's a celebrity that's like way too involved in the filming of this family and the family keeps acknowledging him and he becomes a part of the story and the family isn't ultimately as exciting as he initially thought it was going to be so he needs to start producing it like a actual modern reality tv show and uh it really has a lot of it's really just impressive that he had he was kind of like had the foresight to like see where 
keep oh, a certain segment of TV was going, just like uh, Patty Chayefsky did in network with uh, cable news, and it's it, it's pretty entertaining and pretty novel, and it's uh, it deals with a lot of the things opera books and movies deal with, and just like what motivates humans and things like that. But it, it's weird; it almost feels like a culmination of a lot of his other movies when it was really like his first one, and. I don't know if it's one we're going to break down when we do that Albert Brooks podcast because I don't know if it's as representative as a lot of a lot of his movies as uh, maybe like Defending Your Life or uh, Modern Romance or something like that. But like we might discuss it more in depth, and I think it's definitely worth checking out if anyone uh, just feels like watching like a hour and thirty five minute movie that's uh, very meta and interesting. So I will tell you a movie I watched just yesterday at the recommendation of a friend. It was called The Paper. Have you ever heard of this? Nineteen ninety four. Uh no, and I Michael Keaton, right? Yeah, so let yeah. me read, read off this cast to you, because this is not a movie that I was aware existed. Mm-hmm. This is Michael Keaton playing a, a frazzled newspaper editor, uh, and it just depicts 24 hours in his life, and, and you know everything goes sideways. Here's this cast. Michael Keaton, Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Marissa Tomei, Randy Quaid, Jason Robards, Jason Alexander, Catherine O'Hara, many more. It's kind of hilarious that... Uh... It has Jason Robards, who is very well known for playing Ben Bradley in All the President's Men, and Michael Keaton, who uh, would go on to star in Spotlight, Spotlight, yeah. which also had John Slattery playing Ben Bradley Jr. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I know, did you enjoy the paper, or were you just kind of taken by the cast? Yes. No. So it's uh, as, as someone who spent the last nine years working in journalism and just left. Um, yes, it's it's very fun. Um, gets a little wacky in the third act um yeah i don't know why i don't know why i never sought that out because i mean i I, i've always been aware of it but i never really made it a point to watch it maybe it's because i didn't i don't know maybe i just didn't like hear like as much about it in like positive light as i did for something like you know the the first two thirds are really really enjoyable and then the, the last third goes off the rails but it's it's still a positive experience and it's it's worth watching a movie with that many talented people in it Good to know. All right. Well, I'll have to add that to my list. I feel like as a as a someone that was less of a journalist than Nick was, but also somewhat of a journalist <laughs> in a former life, uh, I should I should I should have watched that movie by now. So thank you for bring, reminding me of that, uh, Nick. Before we sign off, anything you want to plug? I people probably aren't going to see as much golf on your Twitter going forward, but if you want to, no. sh- if you want to share you know, that, Nick Pence is not even available. What's that? Somebody, uh, somebody with forty five. Uh, I I saw that. I I saw you tweet about that. It was like some like Argentinian woman or something, right? I don't know. So somebody with 40 followers, I don't know. Uh, And God bless. Use the account well. Uh, So at Nick underscore Menta now Mm. on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, look, I I, I tweet strictly to amuse myself. So if anybody else enjoys it, then God love them. All right. Uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd, podcast Gmail, The Rewind Movie Pod, and podcast email, The Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next, I think we might be revisiting 2005's Pride and Prejudice uh, with our friend Denise, who's uh, joined us for rom-coms before, but so this will be a little different and have that uh, Albert Brooks one coming up. Uh, and we also have a podcast probably... Uh, 
maybe on that new Netflix movie with Tom Holland, which is, I'm now forgetting the name, The Devil All the Time, because our friend Fred recommended that to me. So we might visit that one with him. I hadn't really been on my radar, but Fred said he had thoughts. So uh, plenty of stuff new and old coming up, and who knows exactly what's going to get pushed in terms of new stuff, as Nick and I just discussed at length. So we'll continue to revisit old stuff, including Bond. You know, we talked about how Tenet was kind of uh, Nolan's Bond movie, but we still have a couple of Bond movie Bond eras to revisit in our series of that leading up to No Time to Die, which again, who knows when that is coming out. So uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks to Nick for joining, and we'll see you next time.